Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. Postpartum thyroiditis and Hashimoto's rather, there's a lot of overlap there. And so it's like, you know, it might be that some of the people who have postpartum thyroiditis actually had some underlying Hashimoto's that we just didn't know about because nobody checked thyroproxidase and thyroglobulin antibodies before getting pregnant, which is pretty common. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. While most of us think about taking a prenatal vitamin during pregnancy, taking one both postpartum and starting one the moment you are thinking about conceiving is just as important. Before pregnancy, the quality of your egg health can be influenced at least three months before conception, affecting fertility, and nutrients are doing much of this egg health work. Nutrition needs postpartum are often increased, especially if mom is pumping or breastfeeding, plus taking on the stresses of a new baby at home. All of these things are highly dependent on nutrients, and you can feel better when you go beyond a low-dose prenatal or gummy that isn't really meeting your needs for all these stages of change in your body. Full Circle Prenatal was developed as a two-year labor of love by my friend, mentor, and colleague, Ayla Barmer, a highly trained integrative dietitian nutritionist specializing in women's health and fertility. She took special care in sourcing the best quality nutrients in evidence-based quantities to truly give you the best bang for your buck in a comprehensive prenatal. Specifically, she ensures that there's a great amount of one of my favorite underrated nutrients, choline, which is essential for skin, brain, and liver health, but intake is often inadequate in over 90% of pregnant women. Other prenatal vitamins often undercut magnesium and calcium as well because of their large size in a supplement. But this compromises your dental and bone health needs while creating a baby or feeding one, and not having enough magnesium can also lead to a cascade of issues with sleep, the nervous system, and even digestive problems. There is no other prenatal on the market like Full Circle Prenatal, and I'm proud to welcome this company of integrity as a sponsor for the Less Stress Life podcast. You can use the discount code Less Stressed at checkout for 15% off Full Circle Prenatal at fullcircleprenatal.com, and you can find all discount codes and links for everything mentioned in the podcast over at kristabigler.com forward slash shop. 
Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have a very lovely doctor with us today, Dr. Christine Marin, who is an osteopathic physician and the founder of a functional medicine practice in Colorado, Michigan, and Texas. She's also the co-founder of Hey Mommy, an online resource to help women navigate a healthy and happy mommyhood. She was introduced to functional medicine after struggling with pregnancy complication and recurrent miscarriages. A functional medicine approach helped her address underlying health issues associated with gut infections, food sensitivities, hypothyroidism, hormone imbalance, and mold exposure. Now she's a mother of three and she's devoted to her professional life, helping other women optimize their health during pregnancy, thrive in their postpartum time, and get their life back. Just such a voice that we need to hear more of about postpartum health. So Dr. Marin is board certified in family medicine and is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner. Welcome, Dr. Marin. Thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah. So we met at an event. It was after a hormone conference. You weren't there for the hormone conference. We were in Portland and we got to meet in person, which is such a lovely way to meet. But she's really a neighbor over in Denver, although practices virtually in a few different states. So if people want to see Dr. Marin, they can do that. And today we're talking about such an important topic, which is really thyroid issues after people have their babies. But let's talk about your story a little bit first, because it's really how this all started, right? So tell me a little bit more about how you got into this area. I know that you have some really specific thyroid family history as well. Yeah, I do sure have some thyroid specific family history. Going way back, one of my sisters actually has Hashimoto's and the other sister has grave. I have hypothyroidism, as does every other woman in my family. So it's unfortunately very common among females, as you probably know. And I tend to have a specific passion for it just because it kind of affects everybody that's really close to me. But my story really kind of goes back to pregnancy complications. That's really what sent me down sort of the rabbit hole of functional medicine. I really went into medicine actually with a very holistic mindset, which is part of the reason I went to osteopathic medical school. My mission was always to be a more holistic minded physician. And I wasn't introduced to functional medicine until I started having issues with pregnancy complications, specifically pregnancy loss. So I had my first daughter and I had gestational diabetes. That's really when I delve into nutrition. I knew that it didn't make any sense that my blood sugar was high because I didn't have the risk factors. And I knew that the conventional dietary advice surrounding gestational diabetes was kind of crazy. So I really took a dive into nutrition at that point it was like checking my blood sugar four times a day and really became attuned to, you know, carbohydrates and what those did to my blood sugar and different types of carbs and all that. But it wasn't till years later when my husband and I tried for our second baby that I experienced recurrent pregnancy loss. And at that point, I really like went down the functional medicine path and went through all the things. So thyroid and hormone balancing and gut and environmental toxins and mold exposure and all of those things became relevant in my life and it took me a couple of years to get my health back. I mean, I'm still on that path. You know, I still every day do things for my health and it's a big focus of mine. But yeah, I mean, sort of my professional and my personal lives collided at that point. And I knew that functional medicine was not only the path I needed for my health, but the way it could best help other people. So it was a really kind of almost, I would say it's, I think it's appropriate to say it was a traumatic experience, what led you down that path, really. And you yeah. said, so I guess my question is for you off the bat is, after you had your first baby, how was your thyroid? Did you already have a suppressed or hypothyroid prior to pregnancy? Um, no, I actually didn't know enough at that time. I don't know. I think it was probably suboptimal mm -hmm. thyroid function. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, my TSH was normal. It was on my radar because my sisters both had autoimmune thyroid disease. Mm -hmm. And so I would have my TSH checked and my TSH was within a normal range. But as we'll talk about, I'm sure in a bit, that doesn't always mean a lot. So that time, 
it was normal-ish. But later on, I mean, thyroid medication changed my life overnight. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long it was really going on for me that it was like suboptimal thyroid function. I do not have overt autoimmune thyroid disease. So yeah, it's a little more subtle, but life changing nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree that I always encourage people if you need, like, you really should just have your thyroid checked appropriately. Because if you are not, if you need thyroid medication, and you're not on it, it is more dangerous to not be on it, right? So, so people should not feel guilty about that, even if they're trying not to medicate that much. That's definitely not something to feel guilty about. So something I was surprised to learn many years ago was I asked my oldest best friend, who was a pharmacist about the most commonly prescribed drugs. And she said thyroid medicine was number one. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting that because I worked in more diabetes type care at that time. And so I just when you're surrounded by something, you think that that's the most common thing. I still think I'm jaded (laughs) in the world. And it's still feel like the things I'm addressing now are very, very common. And so do you know much about prevalence of thyroid disease? And it's totally fine if you don't. And then let's talk about that whole testing, because just testing TSH is certainly not a comprehensive way to assess total thyroid function. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I can't tell you off the bat, like what the prevalence is overt thyroid Mm -hmm. disease and of thyroid disease among females and then of Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. We know that the most common cause of overt hypothyroidism is autoimmune, which is Hashimoto's, Mm -hmm. but I don't know the numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we should probably define them as well before we were to talk about testing a little bit because we're throwing these around. So hypothyroidism is, I'm going to let you define hypothyroidism and then the difference between Hashimoto's and Graves. Yeah. Okay. So hypothyroidism from a conventional standpoint, when we think of people who have like overt hypothyroidism, what that means is that their TSH falls outside of a normal reference range and the TSH goes high. TSH is like your brain's way of of trying to stimulate your thyroid to make hormones. So when that TSH is high, it's our picture into seeing that your brain is like telling your thyroid, I need more hormone. And so with somebody who has overt hypothyroidism, we see a high TSH and a low free T4. Somebody who has subclinical hypothyroidism, that's another definition in conventional medicine, something I was taught in residency. So subclinical hypothyroidism would be somebody with a TSH outside of the normal reference range, but a normal T4. So T4 is the hormone that your thyroid gives off. And so then, you know, people with subclinical hypothyroidism, generally people just sort of watch them until they become overtly hypothyroid and are really struggling and then medicate after that. And most of those people go on to develop over hypothyroidism. And then I keep saying this suboptimal thyroid function. Suboptimal thyroid function is really more of like a functional medicine definition. That is when your TSH might be in the normal reference range, but it's not in the optimal range. It's outside of that optimal range. And that can make a big difference for people. There's a lot of controversy around that range. And, you know, there's some literature which supports making that range more narrow, but ultimately it hasn't been made more narrow except for purposes of fertility. So there's research looking at people who are trying to get pregnant and that a tighter reference range is needed for fertility purposes. But basically, unless you're trying to get pregnant, like that reference range is pretty broad. Okay, let's talk about what the reference range is conventionally. And then if we're looking at suboptimal hypothyroidism, how does the reference range change? For Yeah, so okay, so if you are looking at a conventional lab, or you're looking at, you know, your quest or lab core lab, the reference range for TSH is generally about 0.5 to 4.5. It's meat might be off by a couple points, depending on the lab. But somewhere in between there, I say an optimal reference range is more like one to two, if not closer to one, or maybe just a little below one. So generally, you want your TSH around one. Mm -hmm. If it's 
two and a half or three or three and a half, even though it won't be flagged as abnormal in the lab, you might have. And then when we get to free T4 and then the other components of a full thyroid panel, the optimal reference range changes a lot. So free T4, when you're in a conventional lab, the lower limit of the reference range is 0.8 and the upper limit, I'm going to need to pull up some labs, but I think it's like 1.6 or so. Maybe it's 1.8. I usually, you know, free T4, my optimal range is like 1.1 to 1.4. Mm-hmm. So what does it feel like when someone has hypothyroid or underactive thyroid? Yeah, so there's a lot of different symptoms. Generally, fatigue, feeling exhausted, feeling cold to the bone. That's like a, like that chill where you just can't warm up. Um, thinning of the outer third of the eyebrows, thinning or dry hair, dry cracking skin, sometimes constipation. It doesn't always have to be constipation, though. Sometimes people experience other kinds of digestive issues because the thyroid also guides the metabolism of the viscera, basically meaning like your digestive organs, the motility is a factor, but also the way that they express digestive enzymes and bile and things like that. There could also be sort of like mysterious skin conditions and rashes that come up, sometimes brain fog. Some people are more sensitive to the effects of low thyroid on mood, and so they'll experience either depression and or anxiety. Low libido could be an issue and then metabolism. So either weight gain or just the inability to lose weight, but accompanied with that also, there could be issues with blood sugar or issues with high cholesterol. What else? I see sometimes people have like muscle pain, goes along with sleep issues sometimes, mood swings, periods is a big one. So menstrual cycle, if that's irregular, a lot of times thyroids could potentially be a component. And then low heart rate is another one and low body temperature. Yeah, Yeah. it's a big mess, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big net in general, because these symptoms, of course, as usual, overlap into other things as well. But there are some like, I think some of these we kind of feel like are a little bit more dead ringer, sort of kind of, you know, the thin dried hair and the kind of fatigue, kind of cold. I feel like those are really common things that you hear a lot about. Um, So how do you feel? So what normally happens, I feel like, uh, or this is what I see, is people have a TSH checked. And if that's abnormal, then maybe you get your other thyroid labs checked. How do you feel about that approach? Yeah, so normally, some doctors will order a TSH with reflex. And what that means is that they draw a TSH. And if it's outside of the reference range, then the lab will reflex to draw a free T4. Generally, in conventional medicine, free T3 and reverse T3 is not regularly checked nor are thyroid antibodies like thyroid peroxidase and thyroglobulin. I don't think I ever answered your question earlier about Hashimoto's, but we'll get into that. But, you know, there's autoimmune conditions of the thyroid, Hashimoto's, there's also Graves, but but those will produce antibodies against the thyroid. So like if you do a full thyroid panel, those are nice to have. But generally what's checked is the TSH. And then you go to your doctor and your TSH is abnormal and they haven't reflexed it to a free T4, they might then draw a free T4. But that's usually about as far as they go. This is tricky because some people have a normal TSH and then they have very abnormal thyroid antibodies. And so it's very hard to get to that point, right? People have to fight to get to there, right? That happens. Yep. Let's talk about what's going on with antibodies. What is an antibody and what's going on in Hashimoto's and Graves then? Yeah. So with autoimmune thyroid disease, basically with autoimmunity, it's your body's immune system attacking your own tissues. So it's like an aberrant immune response. Hashimoto's is a very common one among females. Graves is less common. Hashimoto's generally presents with low thyroid function over time, whereas Graves the opposite. Graves is making usually thyroid receptor antibodies and somebody is hyperthyroid. So that's like the opposite symptoms where hyperthyroidism will be like anxious and fast heart rate and losing much weight and sweaty and all those kinds of things. So their metabolism's 
way revved up. Hashimoto's is much more common and causes sort of more of the symptoms we're talking about today with the hypothyroid type picture. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting that you get to have just a little bit of everything in your family. So you guys I know. Just, you know. A little bit of it all. You guys are just kind of interesting. A little uh-huh. bit. Yeah. Okay. So I think, you know, we've kind of been walking around this topic, but so why is it that thyroid issues really go untreated so often? Yeah. Well, I mean, because the full thyroid panel is not checked. And so I can't tell you how many women I've seen and men who have had symptoms for years and they've said to me, I know something's wrong. They keep telling me I'm fine. And this isn't to like put down other physicians because I think that physicians are really intelligent. They train for a heck of a long time. But unfortunately, with the current medical model, it limits their time with patients and also sometimes limits what they're allowed to order. Right. So insurance companies, yeah, I mean, they don't like people to order a lot of labs. And I will tell you, I have cash pay rates through Quest. A free T3 is like 20 bucks. I mean, it's not super expensive. But that is sort of the paradigm is to like save money and be cost conscious. And, you know, there might be a time and place for that. But I don't think that thyroid is one of them. Anyhow, you know, in residency or in medical training, we're not really taught that if there's an autoimmune condition of the thyroid, it doesn't matter. You're still going to treat it with Synthroid. So they don't necessarily test for those autoimmune markers. So somebody might know that they're hypothyroid. But they have no idea if it's their hypothyroid because they have environmental toxins or iodine deficiency or if they're hypothyroid because they actually have an autoimmune condition. In my world as a functional medicine doctor, that makes a big difference because if somebody has autoimmunity, I treat that differently. I have a specific approach for that. You know, but in conventional medicine, it's just not in their toolbox. It's not the thing they do. And so, you know, when a normal doctor orders a TSH and a TSH is in this what's called normal range, which is way too wide to begin with a lot of thyroid patients get missed and it just becomes sort of a bit of a tragedy for some people who lived for 10 years with suboptimal thyroid function and are depressed or think they have postpartum depression or whatever other like thing there might be on statins for their cholesterol when really we could just address the thyroid issue. Yeah, that's a great point because that one definitely I don't hear people talk about that one as much about kind of bandaging the side effects in terms Mm -hmm. of cholesterol, which is definitely problematic. And I 100% agree with you that when it's autoimmune thyroid issues, that's a very different ballpark of like what the strategy and the linear approach that you're going to take with someone versus just hypothyroidism. So yeah, not that it's just hypothyroidism. So we're talking specifically about we can wrap this two ways. We're going to talk about post babies, why people Mm -hmm. develop hypothyroidism in general. Um, and we may have already addressed this. In general, what do you think causes hypothyroidism? And how is that different when you are postpartum? Okay. So in general, I think there's kind of two schools of thought. Well, not really, well, like two big buckets. So number one would be autoimmune thyroid disease like Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's itself is not a thyroid problem. That's an immune problem. But over time, it causes thyroid destruction and causes the thyroid to underproduce hormone. And so that is one very common cause especially when you see overt hypothyroidism. When it's more suboptimal, I think a lot of it is related to environmental toxins. Our thyroid is like a magnet for toxins and to nutrient deficiencies. So some of those toxins and or nutrient deficiencies or the combination of both will make your thyroid underperform. So your thyroid needs and relies on specific nutrients in order to make hormone. So one of those nutrients is iodine. 
We know that iodine has been deficient for a long time. That's why we started iodizing salts. I believe it was in the 50s, but we've sort of stopped eating iodized salt, and many of us are still iodine deficient. Iodine is a pretty controversial one, so it's like too little or too much is both problematic for the thyroid. But nonetheless, we needed at least some iodine to make thyroid hormones. So T4 is made of, of, there's four iodine molecules there, and then you strip one to make T3. So we've, we need iodine, but there's other environmental toxins that are very common in our life, which resemble iodine. They're right next to it on the periodic table. And they'll kick iodine off the thyroid when you're exposed to a lot of it. So that's things like chlorine or chloride, fluorine or fluoride, bromine or bromide. So if we get exposed to those things, and we do every day, that sort of compounds the issue with like iodine deficiency, halide dominance, and then let's tack on some heavy metals, right? So heavy metals will play a part too when it comes to thyroid function because they can inhibit the conversion between T4 and T3. And also they can affect the production of thyroid hormone. Cool. I love how like sitting on a couch, you describe that. You're like, you know what? They just kick it off. If one comes in, they just kick one off and they start to cause problems. And I'm like, that is fantastic. I love the way you describe that. Very good. I so. should do some sort of thing on a couch with that. Because that's a good, <laughs> I like that. Like It's just very comfortable. Visual. It's, very, it's yeah. very comfortable. Like, hey, uh-huh. you don't like, see ya. <laughs> don't need yep. you. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> don't need you right now. Fluoride's uh, here. Yeah, exactly. Like got this other friend that showed up. So iodine, and you've talked about the other things that affect that, but what are some other nutrients that play a role? Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. So iodine's a big one. Iron, tyrosine. Tyrosine is actually an amino acid. Zinc and selenium are big ones. Certain other vitamins like vitamin E, B2, B3, B6, vitamin C, vitamin D even plays a role. And then vitamin A is a big one too. Vitamin A actually can improve the cellular sensitivity to thyroid hormone. So iron can be tested. It's not too hard to get some B's and C's and A, not commonly at the doctor. But are these things that you check for completely or are you only checking for some of these? Because there's not a lot of companies that do micronutrient testing, to be quite honest. I'm actually surprised at how little options there are for this. Yeah. Yeah, I check these through Quest or through LabCorp. Mm-hmm. Um, so I check a vitamin A, I check a vitamin D in the serum. Sometimes I'll do an RBC selenium and or an RBC zinc. Sometimes in the serum, I'll check these. Depends. I prefer to do functional medicine testing. So I do organic acid testing, which is in the urine, to pick up on a lot of the B vitamins. But one of the markers I look at in blood is called homocysteine. And so homocysteine is sort of a functional marker of B2, B6, B12, folate, and choline. So homocysteine is one way. Sometimes I'll check B2 or B6 in the serum as well, depending on what functional medicine lab the patient's doing. So yeah, I do check a lot of nutrients. It's a lot of blood work though. Like every RBC nutrient you order is its own tube of blood. And so they add up. Mm -hmm. Right. And as you mentioned, homocysteine there, which is kind of just a flag for some other ones, is actually a a little bit more of a common one that Mm -hmm. is tested for Mm -hmm. uh, inflammatory markers. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about in general causes of hypothyroidism. Now let's talk about what happens postpartum specifically. Oh, yeah. They may be like very much overlapped a little bit, but what happens specifically postpartum? Yeah. So postpartum is this, well, number one, you got a lot of nutrient deficiencies postpartum. You've gone through pregnancy and then you're nursing. And so that is one factor compounded with stress. There's a lot of stress as we're not sleeping and we're trying to learn how to take care of a baby and we're up every two hours breastfeeding or whatever. So I think those all play a role, but also 
postpartum thyroiditis. So postpartum thyroiditis is an interesting one. It's like an inflammatory autoimmune condition that happens specifically in the postpartum timeframe with thyroid antibodies. So either thyroid peroxidase or thyroid globulin, and it must happen in that first year postpartum. So by definition, it excludes women who did not have overthyroid disease prior to getting pregnant. So, you know, somebody who has known Hashimoto's or known overt thyroid disease prior to pregnancy, we don't call that postpartum thyroiditis, but it's really common. Like postpartum thyroiditis and Hashimoto's rather, there's a lot of overlap there. And so it's like, you know, it might be that some of the people who have postpartum thyroiditis actually had some underlying Hashimoto's that we just didn't know about because nobody checked thyroid peroxidase and thyroglobulin antibodies before getting pregnant, which is pretty common. I would say the role. Now, postpartum thyroiditis, I said earlier, was common. That's not necessarily true. It depends what you read, I think. I mean, I have read statistics anywhere from like 3% to like, I think the higher one was either 12 or 15%. Don't quote me on that. But the prevalence is kind of all over the map. I'm not sure what it is. But it can be a pretty hard thing to go through on top of an already hard time. You know, you're trying to like nurse your baby and it classically, it starts with this transient hyperthyroid state. So somebody might be like really anxious and like ravenous and super hungry and their metabolism like crazy and they lose all their baby weight. And then weeks later, it goes into this transient hypothyroid state where they're like just dragging and exhausted. And it can be confusing because we have so many other things we're dealing with postpartum as a new mommy, you know, you're dealing with all these other sorts of symptoms that you don't know, you know, what's thyroid and what's just like the stress of being a new mom. So anyhow, with postpartum thyroiditis, it resolves. I actually didn't know that postpartum thyroiditis was its like own unique diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It sounds like it just like fits under one of the other ones, you know? Yeah. I didn't know if it's its own code, like, hey, no, you are specific and you're just supposed Mm -hmm. to hang out here for a little bit. I feel like this could easily get missed all the time because one, as a new mom, you are like, well, I'm supposed to be tired. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense a bit, right? Like you're not sleeping. I mean, there's just so many things. It's like, oh, everything is broken right now. And I'm like, it will slowly come back together. And so I cannot imagine how complicated. And really, if people find out they have this, who knows what kind of tools, if any, they would be equipped with, I guess, to manage it. Like, how did you become kind of passionate about postpartum thyroiditis? I think that will help uncover. Um, yeah, some, well, some I'm just this. passionate about helping women who are postpartum, because mm-hmm. I think women in this postpartum time frame are really forgotten about. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a baby and then you're just sort of like, that's it. Like, yep. move luck. along. Let me see the baby. Good luck with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I am passionate about helping women in that stage of life because I think we deserve it. And we don't have a lot of help there. Our village is sort of gone. I mean, honestly, even ACOG, so the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology issued a new statement. I don't know. I think it was in 2017, maybe 2018, calling for better care after baby is delivered. But insurance companies don't reimburse for that. So it's really like it's an uphill battle at this point, like redefining what postpartum care really looks like. But, you know, in this postpartum time frame, generally, I find that a lot of women are experiencing symptoms that are hard to deal with. And they're often ignored because they're postpartum. You had a baby. You're fine. It's because you're tired. You haven't slept. You're nursing. You'll be fine. Wait a year. Yeah. I couldn't resonate with more with it. I don't even know what to say about it because it's it's a challenge. Either before this episode or right after this episode, there's one all about, it's called Beyond the Kegel, (laughs) all about pelvic floor dysfunction. And so, and we talk, of course, about the same thing where we need such better, like this is, pelvic floor dysfunction and 
diastasis recti and just like the muscle, like everything is going unnoticed, untreated, maybe for years because yeah. no one really gets follow-up care. And that's like, I mean, I feel like that's as important, if not more important postpartum than some of the care. Of yeah. course, all the prenatal care is very, very important. And really before yeah. anyone is pregnant is really important. We know yeah. that, but man, it just does not stop. Yeah. You need so much postpartum. Mm-hmm. You need more yeah. support, if mm-hmm. anything. I don't even know how else to summarize it because there's so many mm-hmm. bullet points that go underneath of it if for anyone I know. recently. And I feel like too, you know, you're postpartum and you're home with your baby. It's like, you're just not, sometimes it's just that women aren't even thinking of themselves. You know, they're like, whatever, I just got to take care of this baby and like get through it. So unless things are really bad, generally they're not necessarily even seeking care. And then it's like, who do you go to? Your OB delivered you, but they're sort of like, well, you know, see ya. I mean, they are their postpartum care, but you know, Uh, guys, yeah, (laughs) goal has been accomplished now, you know, so that's where I love virtual medicine. Cause I'm like, nurse your baby, talk to me through the camera and we will figure this out. Well, and that, that is the thing. I mean, you've now gone to the doctor every week this last month. I think that's what it is. It's been a while for me. I don't even know anymore. It's like, Every month, and it's every couple of weeks, then it's every week at the very end. It's like the last thing you want to do <laughs> is go back in and be like, I think something's wrong, but I don't know what it is because we've all been there where we're like, yeah. okay, you know, we don't have to talk about that necessarily. But I guess my question for you is, is there really a postpartum protocol? I mean, you see someone six weeks later, what are the things that are supposed to be checked for? And then there's really nothing else mm-hmm. after that. There's really no mm-hmm. other. I mean, ACOG may have said like, hey, we should have better postnatal care, but didn't really provide any guidelines around it. It's like the first step that will take many, many, many years before something changes. I mean, truly, that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. I mean, honestly, ACOG has guidance. It's just a matter of implementing it and what that ought to look like. And actually, in some of their guidance, they've talked about implementing virtual like telemedicine visits and that your two-week visit doesn't need to be in person. It can be over the phone. But it's just a matter of like, what does that really look like? And how do doctors get reimbursed for that time that they spend with patients? That's tricky. So yeah, so the ACOG bulletin, it does provide guidance. But as of now, I have a 19 month old at home. I'm mommy of three. So when I had my last baby, you know, I went in at like six weeks and I was like, you're like, okay, good. You're still breathing. See you, see you next year, right? Like, I mean, it was sort of just a brief sort of thing to make sure you're still kind of alive. And that was kind of it. Yeah. Were you assessed you know, for they postpartum do screen. depression? Yes. I was going to say they did screen. I mean, I think they do a pretty decent job at screening for postpartum depression. I think that OBGYNs are aware of that and compassionate to that for sure. Mm-hmm. But I also have this whole, what is postpartum depression? I mean, it's a very real thing, but like, what's the cause? I think a lot of that is thyroid related in many instances or just nutrient depletion. So yeah. Makes sense. Well, part of our goal today is to really bring awareness to something where I'm like, hey, I didn't actually know that was its individual diagnosis. I thought it yeah. was under the umbrella of other thyroid conditions. Or it was like, hey, it just happens afterwards. And now you're going to have this now, essentially. So let's transition to some positive things because we like to be positive because we don't want to just be like, oh, crap, you know, yeah, like, right. this sucks. So let's talk about a success story, either with postpartum thyroiditis. Can you share a story about like Hashimoto's, which is common? Yeah. Let's talk about remission and eliminating these issues if or someone. Yes. I just encourage anybody who has Hashimoto's that remission is a real thing and it is completely possible and I see it often. So one of the things that I do in my clinical practice is obviously I check, you know, I check a full thyroid panel. So what that means is TSH, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, thyroid peroxidase, thyroid globulin antibodies. So like those six labs I check, my thyroid, well, pretty much all my new patients as well, because I want to catch any of these things that might kind of go under the radar. So one patient I am thinking of in particular, she came to me wanting to 
get pregnant. She had a history of recurrent pregnancy loss, and she just wanted to make sure that she was doing everything she could to improve her chances of having a healthy pregnancy and maintaining a healthy pregnancy. So anyways, we found that she had Hashimoto's. Um, Her thyroid function was really not terrible. It was like you were to look at her TSH, it was still within a reference range, but by fertility standards, it was above the range that we would want. I think it was like around 3.5. So we started her on thyroid medication. In her case, she was on Armour. Armour is like a natural desiccated thyroid that's a combination of T4 and T3. But the point is, is every time I see patients, or at least every three months who have Hashimoto's, I'm checking their thyroid antibodies. Even in like integrative medicine conferences, I've heard people say, it doesn't matter. Like once you check it once, you know, they have Hashimoto's. It doesn't matter what it's going to be. But I just disagree with that because what tells me I'm doing, I'm going in the right direction and that my patient, we're working together in the right direction is like, I see their antibodies decreasing and there is a trend, a downward trend. And sometimes that can go away in like three months. Sometimes it takes a lot longer. I mean, I have a number of patients where, you know, maybe their TPO antibodies were like 700. We got them down to 200, but they're really like halted and can't go away. But this particular patient I'm talking about went from antibodies of like 350 down to 290, down to 200, down to 160, Mm -hmm. down to 130 and so on. So every time I saw her, they decreased and now she's been in remission for years. She had a healthy baby. She just had her baby recently. But I just want to really sort of give encouragement to those people who have Hashimoto's that there is a way to put that into remission. But like, we're talking all about thyroid now in this particular interview, but like, this is a whole other thing, right? This is like, this is immune system stuff. So when we're talking about autoimmune stuff, the approach is really like, yes, there's a genetic predisposition, but there's an environmental trigger and there is some sort of like intestinal permeability, leaky gut that's going on. And so with this particular patient, really, we just focused on her gut. You know, I work on all the environmental stuff too, which is stuff you want to do whenever you're getting pregnant. Everybody should be working toward it, right? But like, especially during pregnancy where you're eliminating the chemicals in your homes and things like that. So we worked on the environmental stuff, but there was nothing super major like mold exposure in her case. Really what we did was we worked on her underlying digestive issues and, you know, over time, like her food sensitivities improved and her autoimmune markers went down. Yeah. And by the way, these don't always present as digestive issues, right? So that's the annoying part. And that's the tricky part with people. They're like, I don't have any digestive issues. And like, well, (laughs) Hashimoto's is really related to gut issues. So I think we should still check this. Um, That's usually the situation. So I know I said we wanted to go positive and we will finish on a positive note, but I forgot two things that I think are important. What is the mechanism? What do you think is going on with thyroid conditions that causes or creates a miscarriage? Yeah. So that is a good question. and One I need to like really read about to be able to give you a super schooled answer. But a piece of it is that the fetus. So when you get pregnant, you have a lot of hormones happening. And when you have more estrogen on board, you also make a lot more something called sex hormone binding globulin. As you make more sex hormone binding globulin, that binds up free hormone, which therefore means your free T4 and your free T3 are lower. And so that plays a role. Baby's brain development relies very heavily on T4 specifically, more so than T3. So that probably plays a role when there's an immune component like Hashimoto's. That probably plays a role as well. Like there's a lot of immune system kind of dysfunction that can happen around recurrent pregnancy loss. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other... Anything else to add? I don't really have anything else to add. I just thought, yeah. well, hey, it was part of the stories and it came up with your case study as well. And I thought, you know, we should just talk about it a little bit. And I think it's reasonable that you don't have like, there is no one answer there, probably. And yeah, just right. like with fertility, it's like, well, your body has got some stuff going on, shunting resources away from this because it doesn't think that it's working. Yeah. 
you know, like right. your body is trying yes. to protect you typically. Yeah. Always. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I do want to say too, like, so for women who are on thyroid medication, we know in conventional medicine, like as soon as you get pregnant, your thyroid meds need to be increased usually by like 25% because of that sex hormone binding globulin. So we know that pregnant women require a higher dose of thyroid medication. Yeah. It's good to have a really solid relationship with any provider that you have. And this is like, why would you know that <laughs> otherwise? Right. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, it's great to have a great provider. Something that we also did not discuss very much is we were talking about postpartum and how people have nutrient deficiencies and stress is increased. But I really like to say like, oh, it's not just stress. I like to talk about the physiology that's going on with stress. Yeah. So what's the physiology that's happening with increased stress that is creating the cascade of thyroid issues? Okay, so your HPA axis refers to when we talked about earlier, the TSH that comes from your so hypothalamus and pituitary HP. And then A is adrenals, which sit atop your kidney, but it's HPA, TG, so hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal, T is thyroid, G is gonads or ovaries. So that whole axis can be very sensitive to stress. And so there can be HPA axis dysfunction, which plays a role with all of this. And it's also the reason why thyroid and hormones and adrenals are all linked. Yeah, totally. I love it. That was good enough for me. And so hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access also linking into communication between thyroid and gonads. Mm -hmm. So. TG, not to be confused with thyroglobulin antibodies. Which yeah, right. Totally. I should have said this before. I know people were like madly scribbling because we've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with other people or like in other settings, not even on the podcast where people are like, oh, I was scribbling those out really quickly. I'm like, okay, I've got notes. I'll put them in the show notes. Okay. This is what you test for the thyroid panel. It's what to ask for. So finally, let's end on some other positive notes. We talked about a lot of things. Wonderful interview. Look forward to having you back. But if someone is hearing this and they're like, oh, crap, like, I yeah. feel like that was me and or whatever. Like, what is your gut reaction, pun intended, if someone was like, gosh, this woman's talking to me, what would you tell her so her life can be better today or she can move toward awesomeness today? Like, is there is something she can do now? I mean, I think get your thyroid tested. And if your provider won't do it, you can either find a provider who will, or you can order it yourself. That becomes a little bit troublesome because then you order it yourself and you're like, how do I interpret this? This is not like, this is, I'm a doctor. I do this for a living. Like I do it every day. Right. So that can be hard, but at the very least you can either find reassurance or find a or little bit more doctor, right? confirmation that like, Hey, this isn't right. So mm -hmm. yeah. So generally I say, you know, just find a doctor who's willing to work with you. And at the very least they could order a free T4 and a free T3 and some thyroid antibodies, mm -hmm. reverse T3. Maybe they wouldn't want to do that. And that's not the end of the world, but I'll tell you, you make sure your free T3 is in the threes because some people were like, get this full thyroid panel. And they come to me and they're like, I did it and I'm good. And I'm like, but you're not. Your free T3 is like 2.4. And the reference range, we didn't talk about this earlier, but the reference range for free T3 is like really big. And it goes down, I think it's 2.2 is the lower limit of that reference range, but that's really low. And people feel pretty terrible with the free T3 of 2.2. So like get your free T3 in the threes. If it's in the threes, like you're pretty stellar. And if you're fatigued, then keep finding out why. Is it iron deficiency? Is it mitochondrial dysfunction? Is it hormone imbalance? There's other things that can cause similar symptoms. And that's why I think testing is such a big deal. Totally. And you might hit one roadblock, but it's not impossible to do by any means. You can get it yourself and you can take it back to your doctor if you'd like or to someone who looks at them. And yeah. you, can, you can look at the same set of labs with different eyes and see different things. So yeah. I love it. Okay. So Dr. Christine, where can people find you online? 
So I'm at drchristinemarin.com, M-A-R-E-N, and you'll find me on Instagram at the same, so Dr. Christine Marin. And also stay tuned for heymommy.com or heymommy.life if you're on Instagram, because that's going to have lots of awesome information. We have a really, really great thyroid article that's going to kick butt and we'll tell you everything you need to know. So we are super excited to launch that very soon. And we've been working on a lot behind the scenes. This is my business partner and I. So I'm working with another physician who's an MD, Alejandra Carrasco. So yeah, it's going to be exciting. And we really hope we're going to help lots of women have a healthier and happier mommyhood. I love it. And just so people know, it's possible that this may be live when by the time the interview publishes and Hey Mommy is spelled H-E-Y and then it's M-A-M-I, which is a little different than maybe some people would. Totally. So um, I do have those handles in the show notes as well. So those will be there for you. And what a noble cause. Thank you so much for your diligence and your work in this area, because we all know how important and underserved it is. And I just really appreciate when people find those areas and take action. So thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. One of the easiest things I can have a client add to their life for better heart health and period or hormone health is a lot of flax. And I mean a lot of flax, as much as a quarter cup per day sometimes. But not all flax is created equal. My favorite flax that stays as fresh and fluffy as the day it arrives is Manitoba Milling Flaxseed. Family owned for over 100 years, they have unique standards to ensure the integrity and food safety of their product. One of the first things they do is use only healthy seeds, so their flax doesn't include diseased, damaged, or immature seeds that can give other flax a rancid smell and taste. Second, they have a unique milling process that slices the whole seed to yield a fluffy texture that makes the most incredible substitute in baked goods for oil or eggs, or just as the main component in muffins, yogurt, and smoothies. Manitoba milling flaxseed and flax milk is available across shopping centers in the U.S. and Canada, but can also be shipped from Amazon and manitobaflax.com, where you can use the code 25CRISTA, which is 25-C-H-R-I-S-T-A, for 25% off your first order. I'm so thankful to have a product I love as much as Manitoba milling flaxseed as a sponsor for this episode of the Less Stress Life podcast. For quick access to the links and discount codes mentioned in this and all other episodes, check the show notes or go to kristabigler.com forward slash shop. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 